Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the EFL Fantasy Podcast. My name is Angus. And my name is Dan. And we're here to talk about the playoffs. Um, we didn't do a sort of game week 46 review. Uh, I was on holiday. Um, thank you to the some of the people who said very nice things to me about deserving a holiday. <laughs> um, I, had, I had a very nice time. Um, and then there wasn't enough time before the playoffs started. And then we were sort of like, we'll wait until there's a gap. Um, so we're back sort of between the semi-finals and the final to talk about uh, the playoffs. Um, I guess brief, very briefly, um, in terms of the finish to our gaffer season, uh, Dan, where did you end up finishing? Uh, 146th. Um, just left myself too much to do. Um, I think it was about game week 15, I was 700th and the template was so strong. So, um, yeah, didn't really use the boost well through the second phase because of COVID and then just couldn't catch up really. Um, so, yeah, I know we are doing a proper review. We'll go, yeah. go over it more then. So, yeah, I'm, I, I was quite um, had this little break of not recording and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward of uh, letting people listen to my views again. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, uh, in terms of the, the sort of final position, I uh, finished 65th. Like you say, we'll, we'll have a bit more of a, a review of the season. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased, uh, particularly where I was looking at one point. I, I think I've ended up quite nicely. Um, you know, my, my Carl and Grant pick on the last day coming in as well. So... Uh, that, that was a nice way to finish. Uh, you know, uh, I had a grey error on the final day, despite two of my players scoring minus points. So uh, <laughs> that that was that was fun. But uh, yeah, a little bit of a break. Um, we have we have got more sort of content coming up. Um, we've got obviously our season review and a couple of other things coming up um, that we will uh, sort of inform you of in due course. Uh, but today. As I said, we're going to talk about playoffs. Um, obviously, we've had the semi-finals. We'll do a little bit on that and uh, look ahead to the finals. So no sort of obviously no sort of fantasy implications here or anything. Um, which, which of the sort of semi-final ties do you want to start with? Should we should we get the Luton Huddersfield out of the way? Yeah, let's do that one. Um, um, yeah. So so uh, yeah, kick kick us off. Obviously. Uh, obviously from a Luton point of view as well, uh, Dan. But, uh, yeah, talk to us about this one. Yeah, so uh, Luton, Huddersfield, um, especially the first leg played out how I thought and how I think everyone knew was going to happen. Luton went for it first half. Um, the big news was obviously no Adebayo. Um, Huddersfield did have Sorba Thomas, but only on the bench. Um I thought we started quite well, Luton, and then got countered um, by Huddersfield. And to be honest, they're quite good at that. I, I didn't realise quite how good they were until I watched them live. Because I think the um, we played them ages ago, but I think it was like throughout the maybe like a September, October. So I don't think they were fully up to how they that they've been playing recently. Um, but yeah, so we got sort of uh, sucker punched and then <laughs> that just helps Huddersfield because they just want to defend and counter and set pieces got back into the game Bradley 
from a set piece, Naismith. Um, and then it was all us for the rest of the first half. Um, Jerome had a shot over the bar. Lansbury had a shot blocked. Um, both both teams, I should mention, both teams should have had a penalty. Um, but I was sitting in there and I was with my dad and it's like 10 seconds in and I said to him, we just looked at each other and said, that's a pen. And I, and I think both were, to be honest. It was so blatant. Um, and then second half, um, probably around the 60th minute, Huddersfield got control of the game when they could start using their subs. We all know Luton basically don't have anyone to bring on, really. Um, no Adebayo, no Pelly, no Berry, no Fred Onyedima, no Musque. Um Yes, and that really affected us, especially the way we play with the press. We we were basically hanging on towards the end. Huddersfield didn't really create anything, but it was just set pieces defending. Uh, I think both teams were quite happy with a draw first leg. I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah, that that sounds about right. I think uh, you know it's one of those things. I mean, it's it's one of those things with a lot of these two-legged affairs, where really there's there's an element uh, for teams of just wanting to not be out of it after the first leg, I yeah. think. And then second leg, um, I, I was pretty surprised. I thought Luton would defend a bit more, but again, we just went straight for it. Uh, Adebayo was on the bench, and we'd later find out that he couldn't even run, so why he was even on the bench, I don't know. Um, first half, we had that, some great chance, especially the Cornick point blank. you got you got to score that. Um there was a couple of long range shots, one from Bree. Um, yeah, it was just the same. We were winning the ball up um, quite high, and at times Huddersfield just couldn't get out of their half. Um, Huddersfield had one good chance towards the end. Toffolo went on one of his mazy runs, and um, Ingram saved. And then it, we started the second half pretty well again, but we just tired. Um, Adebayo wasn't fit um, and then Huddersfield gradually got on, on top they brought on uh, Thomas and his ability to stretch in behind um, got them up the pitch and then they were starting to pick up the second balls um, and then we gave away a stupid free kick and they scored and once they'd scored that was it it was, it was game over <laughs> It was so late and it was just so obvious. So overall, I was quite happy with how Luton played. Like we went for it, but we can't have any regrets. The only regret is we we didn't really have any players on the bench to make an impact. Would have been interesting if Adebayo or Fred or we had a few more options off the bench. I think we might have won, but it's probably an even tie and Huddersfield won it. Probably the the best finisher on the pitch win, wins the game, and we we didn't have our best finisher. So yeah, that was basically it for the Huddersfield Luton game. Yeah, I was slightly confused what year I was in when a uh, playoff semi final winner is scored by Jordan Rhodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the big thing for me, sort of looking on it from a neutral point of view, was it did feel quite sort of even across yeah. the tie and I think that it is that thing where 
just that slight difference in terms of, you know, when it came down to it, that deciding moment was almost they had someone they they had sort of someone who has real sort of a real sort of goal scorer uh, on the pitch to take their chance yeah. where Luton didn't like you say they didn't have an Adabeo or someone like that to just when when it sort of comes down to it get you that sort of finish off that goal um, you know there, there's there's obviously sort of other reasons why but just sort of you know at, at the end of the day the difference sort of a just a just a finisher can make. But it, it is down to that because Cornick had probably a better chance and missed. Yeah. And overall, we probably had the better chances of the two legs, I would say. But yeah, look, it's, like I said, I've, most Luton fans were proud of the way we played. We went for it. We can't have any regrets. So just interesting to see what happens over 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 the summer for Luton. Um, but Huddersfield interesting then going forward completely different style to to Nottingham Forest did you want to talk about the Forest Sheffield United legs yes I mean this this was uh, an interesting tie um I actually didn't manage to watch the first leg um which was apparently great um I, I I honestly can't remember why I can watch it but uh um I was unable to um but you know, I think Forrest nearly paid from certainly from what I've heard, and you might be able to confirm this. Forrest nearly paid in terms of the second leg from not putting away Sheffield United in the first leg. It sounded like they should have sort of just been out of sight um, yeah. in the first leg. Um, I, I assume, sort of, from your reaction, that that is the case. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically, in the um, first half. Sheffield United started quite well the first 10 minutes. I, I think Sheffield United's biggest problem was the fact that they hammered Fulham the week before. That gave them a bit too too much confidence of attacking when that is not what you should really do against Forest. I think we've seen the teams that have beaten Forest recently, Luton, Bournemouth and, and second leg at Sheffield United. You've got to sort of be... the defensively solid first and then you have to sort of counter um but yeah in the first half Angus it was literally they were getting countered and it was three on three so many times and you've got um Basham and Egan and um Robinson and they just weren't quick enough to handle with Johnson, Sturridge and Zinkenagel and really should have been three or four nil up at half time uh, obviously like all good teams um they regroup Sheffield United um at, at I should say it was only one nil at, at half time and um Sheffield United were probably the better team at the start of the second half and then they they gave away a si- silly second goal even got caught on the ball and Lolly won it and cut it back and Johnson finished uh, superbly. And then towards the game, you're thinking, well, it's 2-0. That's that's probably game set and match. And then Forrest sloppy from a set piece that gives Sander Berger a goal last minute and that's 2-1 and that, that's game on. So, yeah, that was basically it. So the, 
it went from Forest should have probably been four five nil up at half time, or at least four, maybe like four one because there was a header off the line. Um, to being two one up at home, um, and then it was near enough a carbon copy. Sheffield United started well again. Um, I think it was in Dai, yeah. just the one on one against Samba. And then just first first chance for Forest counter attack and Johnson scores and then at that point I thought it, I thought it was over. I don't know I don't know what you thought at that point, Angus. Yeah, I was I was worried for Sheffield United at that point. Not necessarily because you know two goals was out of sight because it wasn't, but yeah. particularly when you go in, I think for Sheffield United at that point, one of the big things for them would have been the first goal is so important in this. And particularly after that early chance for Njai, which was, you know, very good keeping by Samba, very sharp. Um, you you sort of then have that, that sucker punch, particularly because they were quite good for the first 20 minutes. They clearly went out trying to get the early goal. Um, and then I think it was basically Forrest's first chance was the goal. Yeah, it was. Um, and I think it could have just gone away from Sheffield United at that point. I think um, not necessarily understandable because you expect the team to fight, but you know, you've seen it enough times where the team puts their all in that situation into getting the early goal. It doesn't come and then it just keeps going away from them. Um, but I thought they did quite well to sort of, you know, regroup even after conceding that goal. Um, I mean, <laughs> there were, you know, it, it was a very sort of feisty game. Um, you know, we can we can talk about sort of the 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 fan incident after the game, but uh, I mean, Heckingbottom sort of shoving the ball into Jed Spence's midriff, um, yeah. amongst other things. It was just sort of like, I mean, the bizarre thing with him is you so often you see him sort of being completely sort of calm and collected on the sideline, and that was sort of really sort of rash moment. Um, even though it wasn't necessarily the the, the worst sort of offence. I was slightly surprised he didn't get sent off for that. Um, but, yeah, I think there were a couple of times there where it, it threatened to get away from them both on the pitch and sort of mentally. Um, and I think it was probably best for them that it it was still sort of 1-0 on the night at half-time. I think that was the key for them after that, that, that they did still manage to get to half-time 1-0. Um, and then obviously Gibbs White gets the goal very soon after half time. Um, and at that point you're like, okay, you know, game on again. It's that it's that sort of thing. The deficit's back to one. Um, I mean, I thought the funniest thing about the the equaliser was, uh, you know, man in the six yard box poachers finish, and you look up and see it's John Fleck. It's sort of like you sort of have the reaction like, what's he doing there? I know he, you know, he's 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 decent in terms of breaking forward from midfield and in support, but you're still kind of surprised when you see someone up there in the six yard box and it's John Fleck. But uh, I think probably on the night the the sort of two one Sheffield United was was about fair. Yeah. Um, on on balance, they had slightly more of the chances and. Um, you know, I think one thing I do have to say, ultimately, and then it went to extra time, and I, I thought I was, 
it was better than a lot of extra times tend to be in terms of that, you know, sometimes you see teams sort of go through the motions and it's just sort of like neither one really wants to lose in extra time. Um, but, you know, the, the extra time for me will, will be, probably be most memorable for the incident right at the end when uh, Jack Robinson dies. And it's inconsequential. There's like 15 seconds left in the game. Yeah. But Michael Oliver just decides not to give him a second yellow card. Oh, no, you don't book him. Um, I mean, obviously, before that, the other key thing was uh, Njai had another good chance and uh, yeah, Samba with a brilliant. great save. Um, I've seen some people, and, and it's not to uh, sort of you know, criticise Brees Samba, but the, it, it does feel like some of the praise has suddenly turned him into like the best goalkeeper in the championship. Um particularly off that one game but uh he, he was he was i do have to say um i haven't always been sort of his biggest backer but he he was absolutely key for all their uh good play going forward um through the likes of you know johnson and surridge uh, davis obviously made a massive difference when he came on and there were a couple of times where he nearly got sort of forrester goal um at the other it's, end he is frightening when he lit, he, he just turns and he just runs. Yeah. I, I know you, I've mentioned it a few. He is the best striker I've seen live at Lewin. Yeah. Just and an I mean, absolute handful. Yeah. And like, you know, it, I, I'm sure it helped that he was up against tiring bodies, but like, there's only so much yeah. that can make you look like, like that. Um, and, and, you know, uh, who was it? Lolly who slipped when he had the, the chance. Um, you know, they had the likes of Spence getting up in support of the attacks and everything. Like it was, um, Yates uh, had a chance at one point as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, like I say, I, I thought on balance it was probably a, about a fair result on on the night. Um, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the extra time, like I say, because normally or quite often you see extra time sort of peter out and no one's really going for it. Um, and then the penalty shootout became all about Brees Samba again. Um, I think it's fair to say a couple of the penalties weren't great from Sheffield United. Yeah. Um, the first one, I thought the first angle that it was right in the corner and Samba had got across to it. And then you see from behind the goal and it's like not even close to the corner. Um, Samba might also have been off his line. but uh, oh, He's renowned for it, Samba. Um, but. You know, it, it, it still needed saving. The second one, uh, as we know from his water bottle for the picture that went on Twitter, um, it did say to stay uh, on her hands penalty, um, which I thought was interesting because it's one thing knowing that, but it must be so difficult instinctively as a keeper to stay down the middle. you just uh, got to trust, though, haven't you? That oh, yeah. The, the analog, and it's not like... Hurahan hasn't taken a lot. I think he took a few for Swansea when Bayou yeah. wasn't on the pitch. So they have enough data. Is yeah. Um, oh yeah, but in the moment, it must you, yeah, you yeah. still must feel an urge to like dive. Um, and then Morgan Gibbs White's penalty was the most bizarre of them all. It oh. looked like he sort of glitched in the run up at the start of his run up. Like he, he went to start the run up, and it was almost like he just sort of glitched and had to start again. Um, I, just, I, know, I just don't like that sort of I know thing. a few people have, have sort of suggested it was deliberate. To me, it just looked like he, like, I don't know whether he got, like, he felt his strides were out of order or something, but, like, 
he looked like he just started again. I um, mean, then it really was a good penalty when he uh, took it. But um, no, I think in general uh, across the tie, it felt like Forest deserved to be in the final. Yeah, they did, yeah. Um, particularly have you know having heard and seen highlights of the heard about and seen highlights of the first leg. I think that alone, Sheffield United would have had to batter them in the second leg to sort of even it out. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, we all thought that Forrest were probably the best side coming into the playoffs. Um, I think the first leg was a reminder of how good they can be. Um, yeah. You know, it'd be a tough game in the final. We'll come on to that in a minute. But uh, I, th- I think we need to speak about both sides of the uh, the post game. Um, the you know, sort of the pitch invasion, which uh, obviously there's a pitch invasions are much discussed at the moment with sort of, you know, the the number that are happening. Personally, I'm against pitch invasions. Don't like them. Um, I get that, you know, you end up with these great scenes and everything, but personally, I'm not a fan of pitch invasions. Um, and I think that there seems to be this worrying trend as well um, of, I mean, in this case, it was a head, but fans being increasingly comfortable putting their hands on players i, th- I think it's more the op- the the opposing players like it didn't not so much in the huddersfield luton game but like the luton fans were just obviously thanking the fans and like the huddersfield fans were trying to take photos and wind them up and videos and it it's just social media. It's like, why don't you just celebrate with your your team? You've just won. Why do you? Yeah. <laughs> and it was they they were trying to mess around with Jordan Clark, who's about five foot six. They didn't do it to Sonny Bradley or or anyone like that. But yeah, and I mean, I just don't see the point. No, you support your team. It's probably for Huddersfield and Forest. It's massive occasions. Forest haven't haven't done anything for years, and now they've got like a massive occasion and their fans are more bothered about the, the opposite uh, the opposition i just just don't get it um, no i mean we've I've got, we've got hope... this instance um we've got i mean it, you know it's different divisions and everything but in terms it's of happening the, the in all trip, of them we've got the everton fans who went after the likes of patrick Vieira and wilfred zaha amongst others um there was the uh, Swindon Port Vale shootout where the Port Vale fans ran on and were actively like not a not a couple of idiots like obviously in this case well you know we're talking around it we will talk about it um, where it was one idiot like in the Port Vale Swindon game it was a, it was a number of fans it was a decent number of fans who went on and targeted the Swindon players after their team has just won a penalty shootout to get to the playoff final yeah. and they're more worried about going after the opposition. I mean, I saw at one point one fan had to be pulled out the tunnel. He'd managed to get there. Um, but in this case, obviously, one fan has decided to run on and just headbutt, running headbutt onto Billy Sharp, who was just standing there watching watching on. He, was, he wasn't even playing. And I mean, I know players use this as sort of motivation. I'm not going to criticise him for being out there where they sort of watch the, the celebrations play out and whatever. And it's just sort of like, you know, there's all these sorts of things about like, you know, next year that'll be ours or use it to sort of fuel their fire for the next season and everything. But it, it's just assault and it's just cowardice, uh, particularly to blindside him. I mean, 
Um, you know, everyone's seen the picture by the pictures by this point. I mean, Billy Sharp needed stitches. Um, credit to the Forest fans. Like I say, we need to talk about both sides of this that they um, had him sort of found and uh, sort of reported to police very quickly. Um, they also started a fundraising effort to raise raise money for charity. Um, yeah. but it, it's it's the same. It's 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 not the majority of fans. No, it, no, no, it's like it's such a small percentage. It, it's like, and I'm hoping it's just because it's at the end of the season, yeah. and when we start back, there won't be pitch evasions, and hopefully by this time next year, they need to increase security and uh, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I sympathise for Stuart with stewards. Like, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. to be honest, in in most of these cases, the stewards aren't paid enough to actually no, sort no. of deal with this, and they're not really paid to to sort of tackle people running onto the pitch or whatever. Like, you know, but in that sort of situation, it's tough for them. You know, there's people screaming onto the pitch. What are they supposed to do? Like, if they stop one person each, there's still thousands of people on the pitch. Like, there's nothing they, they can do really. But they've got all cameras in it. They just got to just ban them. Anyone on the pitch just ban them. Yeah, I mean, the, I or think fine them. They've got to do there, that. There's, there's all these sort of, there's rules in place. It's against the rules and everything. Um, I think it's unfortunate. Um, and I, I worry that it's going to go the same way as some other places where we're going to end up with things like netting around the pitch. Um. If if it as in if it, if it continues into sort of regular games next season, yeah, um, then I, then I worry about that sort of thing. I don't think it's practical, and I don't think it will happen. But additional measures, any additional measures, tend to worry me in terms of what they'll attempt to bring in and everything. Um, like I say, fa- fair play to the rest of the Forest band, fan base. We've never suggested at any point that it was sort of a reflection of the fan base. Um, it's one more on. Uh, who's sort of ruined it for everyone, so to speak. Um, but I guess with that, uh, we should talk about the final, because obviously, yeah. you know, that's still to come this weekend. Um, like you said, I think it's interesting. Clash of styles. Um, you know, I mean, generally speaking, the expectation would be that both play a back three, though. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting with um, Huddersfield. They're a lot more fluid. Uh, they use Jonathan Hogg to sort of drop in and out of yeah. of centre midfield. Um, my guess is they probably will. It will be when they're attacking. It will be three at the back, so they can push the wing backs on and maybe defending. It might be more four and get Hogg more in into the middle, so they don't get outnumbered. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's actually been an interesting move recently, the the putting Hog in the middle of the back three. Um, but in general, it's sort of a three, three four three or three four one two plays three four three or three four one two. So um, yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, particularly with the the slight slightly more flexibility in what Huddersfield do, whether they decide to stick with the back three or go with a, a back four. I think they'll probably stick with the back three with Hog in the middle that enables that flexibility within the game. Um, what do you expect to sort of see in this game? Um, 
So Huddersfield are just going to defend. They're going to drop back until the halfway line. And as soon as Forrest get over the halfway line, they'll start pressing. Um, rely on counters, which they're very good at playing through the centre midfield with, with their ball players. O'Brien will, will drive with it. They'll try and get um, Holmes and Sinani if he plays in between the lines. Obviously, we've still got the, the Sorba-Thomas factor. It, it's two weeks since... Well, nearly it will be nearly two weeks since the semi-finals. Is he fit enough to play Sorba Thomas? Um, if Sorba Thomas plays, like I mentioned against the Luton game, you've got the the um, over the top ball, which um, they don't really have unless he plays. Um, there is a doubt with Danny Ward. I think Jordan Rhodes starts. Um, came on quite early, I think, in the first half of the second leg. So, yeah, I'm expecting Huddersfield to just defend. They're very happy doing that. Um, and then they'll use key moments on the counter or, or set pieces to try and try and get the goal. Um, that's how I see it. I don't know if that's the same for you, Angus. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Huddersfield will sort of, look to have um Forrest come on to them. Um they're they're very good at sort of countering teams. Um you know, I think Forrest has set up quite well um to to sort of counter teams countering, but it'd be interesting to see which which side of that is able to win out. Um my instinct is that, that Forrest will have slightly too much for Huddersfield, but um, I do think it's very tough to pick, particularly because the two teams will approach the game quite differently. Um, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see, like I say, who actually prevails, who actually sort of comes out on top. Um, but yeah, I, 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 like I say, I think Forest will probably prevail. I mean, we'll do a, an actual prediction at the end, but I do think. Um, it's 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 interesting, and I do think clash of styles is always sort of interesting. And um, two teams who I, I think Forest in an ideal world would would be happier probably against a team that that wants to take the game to them a bit more, and they can pick off on the counter with the likes of Johnson and Surridge. Um, oh, a hundred percent. You just got to look at how well they done in the FA Cup against Arsenal, Leicester, even Liverpool. Um, Sheffield United first half, Swansea. As I said before, the, the games they've struggled against is when a team has actually set up defensively very well, Luton and Bournemouth and uh, Sheffield United. So they do struggle with that. They, they, they also struggle. If you can stop the right side, Spence and Johnson, because they're so reliant on that side, because obviously Colback's not really a, a fullback. If you can stop that, they, they become quite predictable on what the, what they're going to do. Um, they also, which could be interesting, is because at times they only play Garner and Yates in centre mid. They can get outnumbered, and then which is what I'm 
what I'm pretty sure Huddersfield are going to do because that's what they did with us. Um, second half of the first leg, they basically changed to a diamond and they had four against our three, so we just couldn't get the ball. Um, so I, I think this is going to be really interesting throughout the game how how Huddersfield changed their tactics because I don't think Forest will. I think they'll just think that they'll be able to win. Whereas Huddersfield will at times be playing five at the back, four at the back, diamond in midfield, things like that. Um, and also, there's a few inexperienced players in this this Forest team: Spence, Johnson. Yates and, and Garner, especially against Luton and Bournemouth, they got wound up. And when you're the better footballing side, you can't afford to get wound up because Huddersfield are going to time waste. They're going to they're going to kick them. They're going to look for them to get yellow cards and red cards. That's what's going to happen. That's you're dealing with good pros at Huddersfield who who know. Like even if they give away a free kick, they'll they're more than confident that they're going to defend it anyway. So, yeah. That's being said, though, all you have to do is look at the League One playoff final with with Sunderland and Wickham, and that's pretty pretty similar to how I think this will play out. And the better team with the better quality just won it quite comfortably in the end. So, Forest could go there and win two or three nil. Or Huddersfield could make this a very hard game. Like even if they go one nil up, uh, even if Forest go one nil up, Huddersfield will not change. They will not change until fifteen minutes to go, and then they'll go for it. Um, do you want to add anything? <laughs> um, I think that's quite sort of extensive. Um, yeah. The the interesting thing I think is that one of the the, the sort of like notable things with Huddersfield is particularly Toffolo on the left-hand side getting forward quite a lot. And it'd yeah. be interesting to see whether they still go with that uh, sort of as a potential outlet and if, and what effect that has particularly on Spence, whether they just sort of are like let Toffolo go, it's one less person at the back um, and let someone like Worrell deal with it. Or whether that forces him back a bit more. Um, yeah. I think it'll probably be a mix of the two. There'll be times when Spence goes back with him, and there's time there'll be times where they sort of let him go and try and use that advantage going the other way. Um, but I do think that's that's an interesting thing to watch. Yeah. Um, but... Because what is interesting in the Luton against Forest game, Luton changed to play Bell right. Uh, left-sided centre-half, because Naismith moved into centre-mid, and they had Fred Onyedimma left wing-back. And on the when we turned the ball over, because of Fred's Onyedimma's ability to get forwards, there was numerous times where Worrell just couldn't cope with him. Um, he got Worrell got booked for basically just having to foul him. And I, I also wonder is... If they play Thomas up front with Rhodes, you could see Thomas playing more left to get one-on-one with Worrell. 
which could be interesting because Spence is just going to bomb forward. That that's going to be the space, and if they have Sorber Thomas there on the counter, that's going to cause a lot of problems for Warren. Yeah. Um, so so one of the things I, I had sort of just decided I was going to ask, um, yeah. if anyone hasn't guessed, this hasn't been sort of pre-planned. Uh, we're just sort of having to chat about this. Um, I'll do the same, but I was just going to ask you to pick out sort of two key players you think for for each side in in terms of the the outcome of the game. Yeah. So for Huddersfield, I'm going to say Lee Nichols. Because at times, Forrest are going to have chances. He's going to have to do well. And is Sorba Thomas. On his ability to counter and get him up the pitch, but also his, his set play delivery is probably the best in the league. And set plays are probably the most likely way of how Huddersfield are going to score, especially with how tight they're going to keep the game. So that they would be my two for Huddersfield. What would your two fathers be? Uh, so I had Nichols as well because, it, like you say, Forrest will have periods where they get chances and it's going to be reliant on Nichols to uh, to keep them out. And uh, the other one for me, as, as I mentioned, uh, I do think Toflo is, uh, Thomas is important, but I'm going with Toflo. Um, with, yeah. you know, he's, he's been in a very good run in terms of um, particularly chipping in with goals which uh but both in terms of that that outlet down the left but also potentially the effect it, it might have in terms of what Forrest do uh, particularly if they start having some joy down that side um i think could be important um as a tactical impact so uh so i'm going with toffolo um what about the two from forest it's it's keenan davis because you're looking at Keenan Davis playing up there against Lees, and I'm guessing Caldwell will play. Although, would they go Naby Sar? Maybe not with the pace. I'm trying to work out if they'd play Sar for experience. Um, I think they'll play Caldwell because of the pace. Um, I think Keenan Davis. I think. We've already mentioned his ability to just get the ball. And if he turns, you've then got him and you'll have runners. You'll have Spence, you'll have Johnson, you'll have um, Zinconagel floating around. You might even have Garner running running past as well. So, Keen Davis. And I'm going to go Brennan Johnson. He's probably the best player on the pitch if he turns up. Like, there's no, no denying it. If If... Huddersfield stop Brennan Johnson and um, Spence that right side, they'll have a chance to win the game. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think Brennan Johnson, like you said, I think he's probably the best player on the pitch. And I, so yeah. I think uh, he will probably be key to to the outcome. He's sort of the, the He ends up a lot of the time being the main sort of attacking outlet, and t- particularly in terms of sort of Goal, goals and assists, which is sort of what it comes down to. Um, so I think he's sort of very important. Um, and the other one for me that I'm going to go with, um, and it could have been between two, I'm going to go with uh, Ryan Yates. We talked about the the how important it will be for them to to not become sort of 
overrun in midfield and make sure that they sort of can hold their own in the midfield battle. Um, and I could have picked either of the midfielders, but I think Yates in terms of um, a little bit more of the legwork, a little bit more of breaking up the play is, is going to be, any Huddersfield play is going to be important in there. Um, obviously, I agree that Davis, it, it, you know, will be important, but uh, I do think that it could be key uh, who gets that midfield yeah. supremacy. Um, so, so I think uh, Yates could be very important for for Forrest in there. Um, yeah, I think I think one of the only things left for us to do, um, and then we'll get to the couple of questions we've had, uh, is do do a prediction for the game. Uh, so, so Dan, what what do you think? I'm gonna say Forest, and it's it's weird. It like if I was betting on the game, I wouldn't back Forest. I don't think there's value, but I I do believe they are the better team, and especially after like I said, after watching the League One, they got better players. If they turn up, they they could win this quite comfortably. But I think. I'm going to go 2-1 extra time. Yeah, I, I was going to say 2-1, I think in normal time, but yeah. I do think it's going to be tight. Um, obviously, if it's not, it will be because Forest yeah, uh, win clearly. Like I think, I don't think, for example, that, you know, Huddersfield can win sort of conv- by a convincing margin. They could, but I don't think they will. Um, I think if there's a convincing margin, it's probably because Forrest have, have sort of dispatched them, uh, particularly early. I think I think if uh, if Forrest get a goal in the first sort of 15 minutes or so, um, it it could be a long day for Huddersfield. But um, no, I think see, I think Forrest probably edge it. See, I'm not sure about that. Like, I just don't think Huddersfield are going to change until. No, I just think um, in terms <laughs> they of could, though, the, particularly the yeah. sort of the, the boost it would give Forrest, I think that they could just sort of push on from there. Um, but it, it'd be interesting. But I do ultimately think it will be close. Um, but I, I, yeah. I think Forrest essentially will just have too much for them. Um, which, uh, which, which would be interesting in terms of uh, Forrest getting promoted to the Premier League. Obviously. Uh, you know they're they're a club with a lot of history, um, but it, it's been a while since they were in the top division, so uh, that'd be interesting. Um, we've got a couple of questions. Um, understand this one; it wasn't necessarily as suited to uh, sending us questions. Um, but James Wood uh, has uh, has said, uh, "Thanks for all the pods this season." He says, "Which of the promoted slash playoff teams are best equipped for the Prem?" And what do each of them need to do to improve their squad to stand a chance? Um, so I guess to take the first part of that question, Dan, which of the promoted or these two playoff teams are best equipped for the Premier League? I think Forest will be the best. Will finish highest if they go up. I think you've seen this season with Brentford, someone a team that has a clear strategy with recruitment, which I, I now believe um, Forest have with Dane Murphy coming in. Um, Cooper's got a lot of contacts with having worked with the England under 21s. Uh, well, sorry, under 17s. So he'll have contacts to get players. And I, I do believe that 
if they go up, I think they could keep some of their players. Like they'll keep Brennan Johnson. They might lose Spence. Um, they could get Zinkenagel back. David. They could probably afford to buy Davis. Um, and I just think tactically, the way Cooper set Swansea up the last couple of seasons showed that he can compete. Um, can do different, sorry, can do different styles. Um, so I think Forrest will do the best if they go up. Yeah, um, and in terms of um, the the second part of the question, in terms of what do each of them need to do to improve their squad to stand a chance? Um, obviously, we don't have to get too into specifics, but in terms of specific players, but uh, for each one, what do you, what do you think they yeah. they need so, to do? So, so Fulham, um, I saw a post on Twitter. I, I messaged you it. Um, goalie. I would upgrade from Rodak. Um, they need a right back competition for Tete if Nico Williams don't come back. In my opinion, they need two centre backs. Ream is not good enough, and uh, Tossin is. Left back's probably fine. Probably need a, a centre mid, maybe a, a ball playing centre mid, um, maybe a winger. Um, but I think if Silva focus on getting Mitrovic scoring the goals, I think Fulham could stay up as well. What do you think, Alex, yeah. about Fulham? Um, I think, I mean, I, I, I should say in terms of the, the three teams, um, particularly if I'm predicting Forrest to go up, um, I think... I edge towards Fulham, but I do think Forrest will be will be well equipped. In terms of Fulham, what they need to do, I think there's a decent argument for upgrading at goalkeeper. I think they need a right back, whether it's to back up Kenny Tete or um, start ahead of him or rotate because uh, Tete does tend to have issues staying fit. Um, they certainly need a new starting centre-back. Um, depending on what it costs to sort of upgrade the, the sort of rest of the squad, they might have to deal with Ream being the backup, but they need a, they need a new starting centre-back, um, without a doubt. Um, I think they need at least one midfielder. They might need two, with Seri leaving as well. Um, and I do think they need a new player to play on the left. I think uh, you know they've, they've got sort of guys like Naskins Cabano, but I, I think they could they could do with an upgrade on that side. Um I think it depends um whether they uh want to stick with the four two three one or whether they go to a four three three with Carvalho leaving. Um I think it's quite possible that they, they deal with that by going to a four three three. Um in which case they, they probably need two midfielders. Um but yeah, what about uh, Bournemouth in terms of what they would need to do? I don't know whether to say it. <coughs> and, we can't, and, we can't say, and we can't say Sat Scott Parker. Okay. <laughs> um, they need a centre-back to partner with Lloyd Kelly. Cahill got released. Nat Phillips um, was only on loan. Mepham's probably not a good enough starter. Right back, although they've got Smith and Stacey. 
I'm not sure if they're good enough Premier League. Stacey's always been better going forward, and I think he gets exposes in exposed in the Premier League. And Smith, although seems to be a Parker favourite, I'm not sure if he's good enough for Premier League now. Um, I think they're strong centre mids with Pearson, Cook, um, Billing, Lerma. I think I think that's good enough. Maybe one more throw in, um, and then maybe a winger. Um, well, they 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 do have some options. Um, I'm guessing they'll keep more and Solanke. You've got Christie, Dembele. I'm missing someone. Who else am I missing? Anthony. Yeah. I th- I think forward they go they're all right actually. Maybe a centre mid, centre back, and right back and goalie goalie as well. Yeah, I think they need a goalie even if they're going to sort of roll with Travers yeah. and see what he can do. Um, they don't have anyone to back up or to come in if if you know he looks out of his depth or anything. So I think they they do need to get a quality either a starter if they don't trust Travers or a quality backup in case um, he's not ready for the step up. Um, like you say, I think they need a right back. They do have still have a couple of options there, but. It, it wouldn't be sort of too far-fetched for them to look for another one. They, they need a centre-back, I think. Um, what about left-back? Surely Zamora starts, right? I I would give Zamora the chance. I think he's he's done well. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's his first season in the full team, but um, he certainly looked up to it. And <clears throat> um, I think he, he, he should have the chance, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if they went and looked for someone there, but um, I'd probably give him a chance. Um, midfield, I think they're all right. Uh, they could possibly do with one one extra player in there, um, particularly maybe a bit of extra quality, but um, I, th- I think they're all right. And uh, maybe one extra attacker. Um, I think it's banking on a lot of people to make that step up. Um so uh, it it wouldn't be too far fetched for them to to go out and get one more there. Um, but I think I think the main thing for them is sort of particularly a centre back, um, and maybe a goalkeeper, um, because you know we've seen how important um, sort of defensive capability is. So yeah, they're going to need someone there. Um, but if we assume that that Forrest are going up. Uh, what do you think they need to do? Um, I think they're fine goalie. Probably left back or left wing back. They've got uh, Max Lowe on loan, but he's injured. They're playing Cole back there, he's going to get absolutely terrorised if he goes to the Premier League there. Um, you've then got... It's hard because they've got so many loan players. They probably need a right back if um, Spence doesn't resign. Um, centre back, I think they'll be strong if they keep that three. Elf uh, Cook, um, Worrell, and McKenna. Centre mid, 
probably need a centre mid because um, I'm guessing Garner's going to have a chance at Man United at least until the end of pre-season. Um, and then they've got to sign a striker. Graben is probably on his way out. I think he's out of contract. Surridge, can he step up? And then obviously they, I think they want to sign Davis. Um, I think that, that's about it. Will they keep Zinkanagel as well? It's it's all about can they keep the loans when they go up? Yeah, I think that's the big thing. I think, you know, we're not as sold as some people on Brees Samba, but I think he's fine. Um, I think the back three, again, I I don't think there's too much that needs doing there. Um, Left wing back. Do you think think the centre-back, they'll struggle with pace? Um... Possibly, but I, I wouldn't look to change too much there. Um, yeah. Left wing back, they've got they've got low coming back. Whether he's going to play, I'm not sure. They they may well look for an upgrade there. Um, Spence, I don't think they'll be able to bring back. I think there's there's too much interest in him from sort of clubs like Tottenham, and no matter how good a time he's had at Forest and excelled there, you know if. If someone like Forrest comes calling this summer, it'll be uh, uh, it'll probably be a bit much for him to uh, to choose Forrest over them. Um, like you say, I think a midfielder. Um, I think that if they get promoted, um, I think Davis will be back with them. I am not sure about Zinkanagel because it's tough to know at any given moment what Watford are thinking. So, um, uh, but I don't think they need to do too much. It sounds like a lot, but it feels like with all of them, we're talking sort of three or four players, really. Um, You know, there's a couple more that, you know, you could do with adding as well, but really you need sort of three or four. Um. But yeah, we'll I do Huddersfield. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about Huddersfield. Um, um, they'll need pace in the back three because whether they'll get Colwell back, I'm not sure. Uh, right wing back, I'm not sure if Pippa will be good enough. He seems to be in and out. Turton's not probably won't be good enough. Will they keep? Will they just move Thomas there? Um. You've got players like Pearson and Lees. Might be a step too far in, in the Premier League, I think. Uh, so probably a centre-back, maybe a right-back. Um, get Keep O'Brien, maybe a centre-mid. They, they'll need a striker. They, Danny Ward and, and Rhodes is, is not going to score any goals in the Premier League. So yeah, I, th- I think realistically, um, unfortunately, um, I think Huddersfield, their squad is probably, I don't want to say too far away because you can make the necessary changes and uh, make a fist of it going up and you never want to say don't make it to the Premier League, but it feels like their their squad probably needs a bit too much work. They ideally for them, if you could guarantee they'd be back in the playoffs in a year, 
sort of get another year to to build this team sort of back up and be back in the playoffs, that would be better for them. But you obviously can't guarantee that. Um, so yeah. you'd still take being promoted, but it feels like they are across the squad the furthest away if they were to get promoted in terms of how much they would need to to sort of change yeah. or turn over. Um, but yeah, I think you know, like you say, centre centre back, possibly uh, right wing back, midfield, and a, a, at least one forward player. Um, yeah. So, uh, and that that's part of why I think that they won't get promoted. Um, and the the other question we have, which is not so much related uh, to the playoffs specifically. Uh, which from FPL Buddy said, he said, well, first of all, nailed it with the predictions. And then he said, and for questions, summarise this gaffer season in three words. Not very good. (laughs) For me, to be honest. Yeah. Um... Always Captain Mitro. (laughs) Um... I'm going to say, listen next pod. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, so thank you guys. Uh, thank you all for listening uh, to our very our very quick playoff pod, which has now hit 58 minutes. <laughs> and uh, I, ho- I hope there was some useful stuff in there. Uh, we, we enjoyed talking about it. I think it, it, it took a couple of different turns, but... Uh, yeah, it's interesting, and I think it's it's partially because we're sort of, you know, very much looking forward to to the final as well, and uh, it obviously has a big impact uh, both on on either team that gets promoted, but also sort of looking ahead to next season from a from a gaffer point of view as well. So uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Hope you all uh, enjoyed the game, uh, and uh, like I said, we'll be back to you with more uh, next week. Uh, so goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.